Amen, and thank you for that beautiful reading of God's Word. Uh, good morning, everyone. Good morning. Uh, my name is Ralph Frazier. I have the privilege uh, being able to share with you a little from God's Word today. I just want to say thank you to Pastor Greg and the leaders for, for this privilege. Uh, uh, it's good to be awake this morning. Amen? Nice and chilly. I think the Lord heard my prayers. I uh, love New England-style weather. Keep it as long as we can. Uh, um, sufficiently groomed and ready. Uh, I only mention that uh, not only because my wife bought me new shoes this week, but she also, on the way here this morning, while on the way to church, uh, was trying to be a good driver, hands on the wheel, focused attention, uh, protecting my family, looking out for others, defensive driving, and all of a sudden, just literally out of the corner of my eye, this strange-looking little pair of scissors comes towards my eyebrow. I jerk away and say, what in the... My wife was doing her makeup, and she had these little scissor things, I'm not sure, and she just said there was one white piece of my eyebrow that was sticking out and was really bothering her, and she tried again. I said, no, no, woman. We kept driving. We got to the stoplight. It was a red light, and she had me turn towards her, and she sufficiently groomed me for this morning, so I hope that that is acceptable. <laughs> uh, it's a pleasure to be with you. Uh, I'm sure you've had those everything changes type moments or days in your life. Uh, that drive back from dropping your child off at college, whew, been there. The loss of a parent or a loved one, the landing of the dream job that you've always wanted, uh, finally getting your driver's license, graduation day, the day you got your first iPhone was all yours, or, or even more powerful than all that, the first time you tasted ice cream. Maybe some of you can't remember that, but everything changes after ice cream. Amen? It was just over 14 years ago, this coming month, uh, that I had an everything changes type moment. Uh, I had come back from a mission trip uh, with the youth group where I was youth pastoring, and it had been a very busy summer. Uh, we had hardly seen each other, my wife and I, and we had two kids at that point. We kind of had the, the perfect little rhythm going. We, we had our girl, we had our, our boy, and the ship was nice and balanced. And that was kind of our plan. That's, that's really all we needed. Thank you, Lord. We, we got one of each. Everything is running smoothly, and it's, it's really great. I got back from a mission trip to Arizona on an Indian reservation where we had gone with a bunch of junior hires to minister to some precious folks out there. And I remember getting back from the airport and getting all the luggage in. It's, it's a Saturday night. I've got to be at church early the next morning. It's, it's super late. Uh, my wife is, is there, and she's greeting me, and I get all the suitcases in a pile, and I, and I finally sit down on the chair. And she looks at me and says, Honey, uh, there's something I need to tell you. And I said, Okay. I mean, is, I really like to go to sleep. I, I don't mean to be rude, but I'm so tired. Well, you're going to want to hear this. This can't wait. And she said to me uh, some game-changing words. Uh, guess what? <laughs> I'm pregnant. Now, I know this is hard to believe for those of you who really know me, but I actually stayed silent for a long, long time. As this wave of reality kind of waved over me or, or crashed over me, 
And after a long stand of silence, I said uh, a really highly educated, awesome response. And, and no joke, I looked at her and I said, how? <laughs> I mean, I've, we haven't, what? We've been so busy, what? And she laughed. It was a game-changing moment. It was a shift in thinking from what we had known up to that point. It was a, a redirecting of priorities. Everything was going to change. It was a tipping of the scales toward a new way of living. Uh, in this case, it was also a shift in the balance of testosterone in the home. Because that game changer's name, uh, his name is Logan, my youngest son. Uh, and we went from mom and daughter to now to three boys, and then we got a a boy dog, and the house has been a little bit off for a while. Uh, but, but no worries. The balance will be returning soon. My wife has informed me we're going to be getting a puppy, a new one, and that puppy will be a girl. <laughs> Jesus was really clear in his teachings, and he, he certainly has been in this entire book of Matthew, this awesome journey that we've been on. His teachings, his questions, and his answers he was always trying to communicate that his arrival was indeed a game changer for the world. It was a shift, a, a redirecting, a whole new way of life as we knew it. He often presented this simple truth in a lot of different ways. When man is king of his own heart, there's no comparison to when Christ is king of that same heart. Everything changes when the kingdom rules a life. Mm. That's our focus today. It has been for many weeks. It's just another awesome glimpse into how the kingdom and the rules of that kingdom, well, they just change everything for us in this life. Uh, would you bow your heads with me and let's say a quick prayer. Uh, Heavenly Father, uh, uh, I am nothing without you. Please come in these moments, and would you just uh, open up hearts to your word. Uh, this is not about me at all, but all about you. Thank you for the beautiful gift of your unchanging, everlasting word, and I pray that you would be heard today clearly and speak. In Jesus' name I pray, and together we all say amen. 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 Well, Matthew 19 is no different from many of the other chapters in Matthew. We see the, the mention of or the, the constant pointing to the kingdom. It's a main thread throughout this chapter. Uh, we see it in verse 12 when Jesus is referring to those who are single. For the kingdom of heaven's sake, they do such things. And, and then in verse 14, when Jesus is talking about the children that have been brought to him. For such is the kingdom of heaven. And then at the end of the chapter, in speaking about the rich man, as was so beautifully read to you, it's hard. It's with great difficulty for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, what does it all mean? It's it's been talked about from this pulpit so beautifully. So just a couple of reminders. They're used interchangeably, often even by Jesus himself, in talking about the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God, both and the same. 
they have a both-and definition. It's, it's speaking indeed of a future reality, a future realm, but it's also talking about a present possibility because of Christ being here and in our midst, and he still is even now, as we're about to remember and celebrate in a couple of weeks the resurrection of Christ. So not only speaking to the here and now of those who were hearing the words of Jesus personally, but to us today in 2021. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is both here and now because of Christ, a possibility to you and I, and it is indeed a promised and future reality because of who God is. In both instances, whether speaking about the future tense or the present possibility, really the the heartbeat of this term, the kingdom of heaven, is denoting the rule or the reign of God. And it is established primarily within the hearts of those who belong to Christ. So So the key is this, whether it's the future or it's now, the main focus is that it's his kingdom. Remember in Matthew chapter six, when Jesus said, seek first his kingdom, and all these other things will be added to you as well. So simply put, It's the way of the king. That's what the kingdom of heaven means. It's the values and the rules and the norms that take place under the reign of God when he is ruling. It's both a future realm. Yes, heaven is real. But it's also a fulfillment of God's will on earth now. Remember when Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. Where? On earth as it is in heaven, both tenses being seen there, like here and now and in the future. It's a huge theme of Jesus' teachings, and, and it's certainly a, a growing focus in the book of Matthew until now in chapter 19 as well. The kingdom of God's rules and ways and values, man, they are very different from the kingdoms that are built on earth. And it is essential to know the difference. Our Lord made it his mission to teach clearly about his kingdom to three main people groups. He did it often to the religious leaders of his day, to his own followers, and to those who were lost. And it's no different here in chapter 19. We, We see that represented very clearly. Jesus is continuing his ministry in Judea. Large crowds are following him uh, as I've referred to uh, in times past, you know, there was no Snapchat or Instagram or Facebook following needed with the things that Jesus was doing and the things that Jesus was saying. It was creating a natural built following all on its own. So first, in chapter 19, Jesus speaks to the religious leaders. In verses 3 through 12, we see a pretty powerful exchange. I think I should take a side note here. There's a lot of meat in chapter 19. It would be kind of fun. I've been told I have till 2 p.m. today. Is that correct? 2 p.m.? Awesome. Just getting started. There's a lot of buffet in this chapter. I mean, from marriage and divorce to children to rich uh, kingdom values. There are tons of them. So I want to touch base on several things that are extremely important, and then kind of land, if you will, on the latter part of the chapter that was read to you today with an encounter between Jesus 
and a certain young man. <clears throat> in verses 3 through 12 of this chapter, Jesus is once again confronted by the zealous and the jealous Pharisees. Uh, this time, they're questioning Jesus about his opinion on divorce. In verse 3, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason? Uh, you're going to see that Jesus does this often. He redirects the focus of the religious leaders on to what is most important. So the key issue here, although we might often uh, be tempted to think the key issue is divorce, the key issue that, that is really being focused on here by Jesus himself is marriage and the beauty and power of it. Now make no mistake, I do think it's really important to point out that Jesus had a strong opinion on what marriage is and who created the whole idea in the first place. You can read it for yourself in verses 4 through 6 as Jesus goes back even to the book of Genesis. From the beginning, it was God's design. Male and female was part of God's plan. Husband and wife fulfills the mission that marriage is intended to accomplish. Marriage is really a snapshot of the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. It reflects the oneness of the Godhead and the unselfish love that Christ, the groom, has for the church, his bride. The Pharisees are not really sidetracked too easily. They continue, and they misinterpret Moses in verse 7, saying, didn't Moses command that it is okay for us to divorce? Uh, Jesus clarifies, and as he always does, you can count on Jesus to raise the bar when you spend time talking to him. He, he really doesn't mess around with, um, with plastic or surface issue. He, he cuts to the heart, and he sees the heart of the Pharisees in this matter. Uh, Jesus clarifies, no, it wasn't a command that Moses gave you. He, he permitted you to give certificates of divorce, but that was not because it was part of God's great plan for you. Instead, Jesus says it was due to their selfish and hardened hearts. They had cheapened marriage. They had devalued women. They had made a mess of God's plan. Jesus says in verse 8, the last part of it, a really powerful statement, but it was not this way from the beginning. So there's our first kingdom rule that we can point out today. Marriage <clears throat> is treasured in the kingdom of God. It's valued by God. <clears throat> God loves marriage, and God hates divorce. Now, please hear me today. That's a powerful statement to say from a church pulpit, that God loves marriage, and yet he hates divorce. Please hear me. God does not hate divorced people. It's important to receive that. Even divorce is not powerful enough to be outside the forgiveness and the redemption of the Lord. Some here today, perhaps divorce has been part of your story, maybe by some personal horrible decisions that you made or, or maybe through no fault of your own, someone abandoned the marriage God hates divorce because of what it does to a marriage 
what it does to a family. It, it ends a story. It, it cuts deep. And if it becomes the norm in a society, many, get this, many will struggle to see what the redeeming, sacrificial love of God looks like. The Pharisees were seeking to trap Jesus into contradicting Moses to excuse their own sin. But he saw through it, and he revealed a deeper truth. In the kingdom of God, marriage is indeed valued. In verses 10 through 12, Jesus doesn't stop there. He also addresses those who are single. The disciples, in essence, asked the Lord, if, if marriage is so hard, if it's most likely going to crash and burn anyway, then maybe it's just better not to do it at all. And Jesus responds by, by saying, not everyone can accept it. Not every person will be married. In this side note, Jesus mentions eunuchs. And boy, we could spend a lot of time here, but I just want to kind of give you a short synopsis. Eunuchs shared a unique role or played a unique role in human kingdoms in those days. It was their job to guard the harem. You know what a harem is? All the king's wives and concubines and temple prostitutes. So a eunuch had a pretty important job in the kingdom, but to really know the story, and <clears throat> you can research it for yourself if you would like, all the gruesome details, these men were made eunuchs by others in very cruel fashion. Uh, they were destroyed, if you will, as men capable of being able to reproduce. The reason that happened is because they could guard the harem with no threat to ever produce a son to try and take over the throne. And so although it may seem like a position of great honor, it came at a great price. In the last part of verse 12, Jesus is specifically speaking to those who have renounced marriage for a season, they have remained single to serve the purposes of the kingdom of God. Single, on purpose, or perhaps still waiting on God until he provides the spouse that he has chosen for that person. So whether single by death or divorce or by choice, the Lord mentions single folks on purpose those choosing a celibate and God-loving life until God moves them into a new season. There's another kingdom rule. Single people are just as valuable and blessed and welcomed in God's work and family as married folks. All the married people in the house, can I have you say, hey? Let's try a little louder. All the married people in the house say, hey? And all those who've ever been single, you were single at one time or you are single now, can I get a hey? hey. And the whole church said hey? hey? Hey, we're awake. Make no mistake, the church is one big, blended family. Oh, don't ever think that God can't bring newness out of broken things or stories that ended, even if those stories were marriages. Uh, the church is a beautiful example of a big, blended family. We're all adopted. If you haven't heard it lately, you do have a brother you didn't know about, and I'm him. 
because we've been adopted by the same Father, by the mercy and love and grace of Jesus Christ into one awesome worldwide family. And we all come with our brokenness. We all come, some of us, if you will, we're married, some single, some divorced, all of us unworthy, all of us forgiven, broken, messed up people where Christ is king. We're getting a glimpse into the kingdom of heaven when we see the church at work. The church is not perfect, amen? It can't be because it's made up of people like you. There's no shot at perfection because the church is made up of people like me. And yet, we are welcomed into the kingdom of heaven, not just when we die, that is indeed a precious hope that we have, but now, where Christ has built his home in our hearts, where God reigns over our lives, where everything changes because of Jesus. Now, this would have been mind-blowing to the Pharisees, whose rules kept the imperfect people out and the so-called perfect law keepers in. Jesus was asked often by the Pharisees, when will the kingdom come? And Jesus was constantly trying to teach them, please see through your religion, I, the kingdom has come because I have come. With my arrival, everything has changed. Luke chapter 17, verse 21, records one of these conversations, once again, asking Jesus, when will the kingdom come? He had tried often to say, it's arrived in me. He instructs them and answers them. It will not be observed by wonders and great signs, but the kingdom of God is within you. Those whose hearts and lives have been surrendered to Christ. And God is at work then and he is now <clears throat> building his kingdom in the hearts and lives of those who love him. Please remember, there's no comparison to when God's kingdom is ruling a life. So Jesus takes time to, to teach the religious leaders first. Next, Jesus teaches his own followers about some important traits and values of the kingdom. In verses 13 through 15, um, it's a short encounter, but it's a really important one. Children are brought to Jesus so that he can pray for them. Uh, this would have been a, a very customary or, or uh, Jewish custom, if you will, of the day, where children were bought, brought to important people uh, to be blessed by them. And so the parents were, were doing no different on this day as they brought their boys and girls to be blessed by the Lord. Now, I love this. This is a short encounter, but it's one of my favorites in all of Scripture. Uh, the disciples intervene. We're told that they rebuked those who brought them. I've been around church life uh, for a long time. And I just see in these folks, I just want you to hear again, parents were bringing their children to Jesus the disciples stepped in and began to rebuke those who brought the children to Jesus. Like any good church member who's lost their joy, 
and lives a constipated life most days. It's not the kids directly they complain to. It's not the children face-to-face they go to and call out. They complain to the adults who work with them or the parents who brought them. They're too noisy. Quiet those kids down. They're too giggly. Shh. They don't really understand why are they here. Put them away somewhere. There are more important things to do. Jesus is busy with kingdom work. The kids are too much of a hindrance. I think this is an important time for a side note. I just don't ever want to be part of a church where there are no sounds of children giggling, running, singing, learning. I mean, can you imagine? I'm so glad I'm part of this church family where teens and children are acknowledged, they're loved, they're valued, they're seen as capable of knowing Jesus. I mean, I don't know if you've seen her, but have you seen our children's director? She is a fine-looking woman. I mean, not, not only is she gorgeous, but she loves and she leads children with all her heart. I mean with all her heart. A specific and beautiful calling from the Lord. This is a really important passage in her life and in mine. And she's got an awesome team working alongside her, loving and valuing and acknowledging and welcoming children. And, and did I mention that she is crazy gorgeous? Uh, some of you may not know. I guess it's time to reveal that that's my wife, Sherry. I still remember the summer I first saw her. I grew up in pasty Maine. I use the word pasty because the gray you see outside today was pretty much my existence growing up, even in July and August, for goodness sakes. It's really cold in Maine. The winters hang on forever. They're just there like a pebble in your shoe. I had baseball games canceled for snow growing up. I I have pictures of me standing in front of snow banks with my Easter outfit on. And so when you stay inside most of the year, you tend to look pretty pasty, like white pasty, like take off your shirt at the beach and cause people to turn away pasty. I was at church camp for the summer. I was in my sophomore year, and I could just still remember this girl got out of the car and started walking across the soccer field towards the girls' cabins. And I was one of at least 10 other pasty young white teenage boys from Maine who just looked at her. She was glowing. She was from Florida. She had this thing called a, a healthy tan. She had bright blonde hair. She, she was shining, and I just stared. Still remember Children, a hindrance, not to the Lord, not in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus specifically instructs his disciples, let them come. Do not hinder them. Don't make it difficult for children to find out who Jesus is. That's not the way of the kingdom. 
In verse 15, he makes a pretty powerful pronouncement. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. To the innocent, the curious, the unassuming boys and girls in your midst belongs to them. Wow. I even love in church, don't you? If you listen, you can hear it. It even happened this morning. The Bible tells us that from the lips of infants, he has ordained praise. So when you hear a little baby announcing that she's here, you don't wish in your heart, oh, wish that baby would be quiet. Preacher's time to preach. No, no. You remember, boom, boom, boom. That's the heartbeat of the kingdom. Ah, they're to be celebrated and valued, not pushed aside so we can get to more important things. So I always, always loved uh, over the years, even in quiet moments, hearing a baby announce, just to let you know I'm here. You know, I've actually seen church families who go the opposite. That's why it's important. They, they actually shame young parents or create these systems where children are never seen. And, ah, oh, that should never be in the kingdom of heaven. Amen? Amen. Uh, it's powerful. Jesus himself took time to address it. Then, indeed, we should obey it and pay attention. Children are a blessing from God, welcomed and blessed by Christ himself. It's a beautiful rule and value of God's kingdom. Children are treasured with great care, with great significance. This would have blown the disciples' understanding. Their minds would have blown right there. Wait a minute. In their culture, children were devalued. They were seen as workers primarily. They were ignored in levels of importance. So Jesus redirects the religious leaders, the Pharisees, in their religious thinking. And then he also shifts the priorities of the disciples, his own followers, in who value is placed upon in the kingdom. He's teaching us a lot so far in this chapter. There's mounting evidence that in Christ, a whole new kingdom was being established. He's instructed two groups of people so far in these first 15 verses that we've talked about. There's one more encounter to really focus on, and it's the remaining half of the chapter, the next 15 verses, and it's all dedicated to this powerful encounter and exchange as he teaches the kingdom rules to one who was very lost, a rich young ruler. As you heard read earlier, a man approaches Jesus in verse 16. What good thing must I do, he asks him, to have eternal life? Now, this is important to know. Jesus knows the hearts of men and the hearts of women. He, he knows our hearts, amen? He, he knew the hearts of the Pharisees, so he cut right to the matter. He, he knew the hearts of the disciples who were getting off track with the kids, and he spoke right to the heart. And in this particular encounter with the rich young ruler, it's the exact same method. Jesus sees right to his heart immediately and knows what his need is. So Jesus knew his heart, and he engages in a clear and a logical manner as this young man is seeking life and seeking salvation. In verses 17 through 19, Jesus draws attention to the truth that only those as good as God can earn a right standing and can be welcomed into life when you go by the ways of the law. 
Simply put, only those who keep the law perfectly can enter the kingdom. Jesus says in verse 17, if you want to enter life, obey the commandments. Now, before you think Jesus is going legalistic here, hang in there. He reveals the deeper truth, and his testimony is is too uh, accurate and strong throughout all the rest of the Gospels for, for us to ever believe that Jesus is saying we can somehow earn our way into heaven. Jesus is the one who paid my debt and paid your debt. There is no laws or amount of laws we could ever keep to earn good standing with God. That is the message of the gospel. We are broken. We are in need of rescue. And he himself has come to where we are and provided rescue that we could not provide for ourselves, even with the kingdoms that we build. And he has made us righteous because of his death on the cross. And his resurrection makes it possible for you and I to live a new life, a kingdom way of living, and it's all because of him. So don't ever think Jesus is, is going back towards legalism. He's no, he knows who he's ministering to at that moment with this rich young man. He's having a very clear and honest discussion. If you want to enter life, obey the commandments. After asking which commandments should I keep, Jesus lists off six commands, particularly those dealing with the treatment of others. Do not murder, do not steal, do not lie, etc. In verse 20, we see the unveiling of a true heart condition in this young man. With no hesitation, after Jesus said the only way to be righteous, the only way to be on level with God is to keep all the laws perfectly, with no hesitation, The young man, what does he say? All these I have kept. Now that's a simple statement, but what does it reveal? He was failing to acknowledge his own imperfection. His own great need for a rescue. In that moment, he revealed the heart condition that had been built upon his own kingdom up to that point that his righteousness was enough to get into the kingdom. Wow. He asks the key question, because when you're standing in the presence of Christ, your heart begins to, uh, to crumble and to move towards truth. It really does. And he has a moment of clarity. What do I still lack? I've kept all these commands. Uh, I've been a good person. I'm a good law keeper. Look how righteous I am. It's obvious that I am righteous because I've been blessed with land and and wealth and, and money and possessions. And yet in this moment, clarity begins to enter. What do I still lack? What a powerful question for any human to ask Jesus. Jesus saw to the heart of the matter that the main issue this guy had was a kingdom issue. A kingdom he had built for himself, an, an allegiance he had given himself over to, a kingdom he had learned to rely on, a mindset, a, a way of living, a pattern of established values that entangled his heart and kept him his whole life, up to this point anyway, from truly knowing God. In this particular man's life, his kingdom was his wealth, 
And man, Jesus saw that this young man loved his wealth first and foremost above all things, even above God. So in verse 21, Jesus offers him freedom. He invites him into a a new kingdom. Give all that stuff away. Come, follow me. I will meet your true heart's desire. I'll, I'll build a new kingdom within you. I'll set you free from that kingdom you think's been bringing you life, and I'll bring true life to you. Here he's announcing that he is the way to salvation. He is the only way to be made right with God. It's a personal, direct invitation from the King of Kings, the Savior of the world. A huge moment. And in verse 22, how does the young man respond to the King of Kings? A personal invite to come follow him. Well, the Bible tells us that the young man went away sad. Wow. Another important side note here I think is worth mentioning. Jesus is not saying that all rich people should demonstrate their faith right now today by selling everything they have and giving it all away. He is not saying that those who are rich or wealthy, the only way to demonstrate faith in Christ is to do that. Jesus knew that this particular rich guy was ensnared by it. This particular rich man was owned by his possessions and his wealth instead of him owning his money and his possessions. I also want to encourage you to take care not to dismiss yourself. Maybe you look at your checking account right now and you're like, Ralph, I'm safe. This message ain't for me at this point. I'm not rich. This is not me. It would be important for us to not westernize the incredible moment and the cultural setting that's happening here In Jesus' day, if you had more than two sets of clothes and two sets of sandals, you were already considered halfway up the scale toward being rich. Remember, those were mostly fishermen standing around Jesus that day, his followers. There were some indeed from rich backgrounds, but for us to translate the word rich, we're not just talking Bill Gates rich or What's the guy that founded Facebook? What's his name again? That 16-year-old? Yes, thank you. We're not just talking the kind of wealth where you literally just rub your fingers and you you own a country. He's he's really helping us to understand, don't, don't dismiss yourself too quickly. If you stood in front of the refrigerator last night with the door open and there was food in there and you thought, man, I don't have nothing to eat. There was food. You just didn't want to choose to eat what was in there then in the Bible's definition in this setting, you're rich. If you're walking around with an $850 or $1,000 cell phone in your hand, I know you're only paying $35 a month for it, but you've got that phone. You understand in the world's eyes, even today with a lot of countries that are suffering, you're, you're rich. You got two cars, rich. You got a lot of clothes, and you know this, more than you really need. Rich. So we have to see ourselves here in the story as those who have the potential, if we're not careful, to allow our things, our money, our status to own us 
to, to build a kingdom based on that. And as we can see, for some, it becomes incredibly difficult to enter the kingdom way of living at that point. Now, there are some popular verses that get quoted a lot in church life in verses 23 and 24. It's hard for a rich man to enter. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. I don't really want to get off track here. Uh, it's a, a powerful illustration that Jesus is using. He's, he's, he's using this hyperbole to, to drive home a point. But the main issue is this. It's hard to change kingdoms for human beings. It's hard for them to do it on their own. Not just heaven, but to adopt and live in the values of the kingdom of heaven in the here and now is extremely difficult. It's hard for that rich man to leave all that which he has known and enter into a whole new way of knowing. So Jesus answered the man's question, didn't he? What you lack, young man, is me. Me. The one who could set up a new kingdom within your heart. Fulfill your every longing. Save your very soul. And because you're so entangled, it's so hard for you to see me, to receive me, and enter the kingdom in the here and now. On verse 25, we're told that the disciples were astonished. If this successful, well-known, obviously blessed by, by God man, because he's wealthy and he owns land, if he can't make it to God, then, then who can? Who then can be saved, they ask. And I think it's one of the most coolest and powerful statements uh, that ever came out of Jesus' mouth in verse 26. And you heard it read earlier. With man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. If I say the first part, would you say the second with me? With man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. With man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Uh, please, please don't think this is just cool stuff to put on a bumper sticker or it looks really good on a t-shirt. You got to get to the heart of what Jesus is saying here. God, he made the oceans. They're pretty impressive. Amen? Uh, he formed the mountains just by speaking, and they are beautiful. But to change a heart, really enter in here what Jesus is saying. To conquer and dismantle our heart's kingdom with all its brokenness and its entanglements and all its out-of-place priorities, to redirect the allegiance of that heart from cheap substitutes to the genuine real answer, from sin to holiness, from worthless death to life, to not only tear down the old kingdom of that heart, but get this, also build and establish a whole new kingdom in that heart with truth and forgiveness and freedom and love and purpose. That alone, my friends, is only done by the power of our almighty God. To conquer a human heart and set up reign, that takes the Almighty One to do that kind of work. And that's what Jesus is pointing us towards. I want you to know that God is still doing that today. I saw it this week where I work. I have the privilege of being on full-time staff at Teen Challenge with all these young men. Can I get a fist bump, gentlemen? 
I saw it this week with my own eyes in chapel on Friday morning, one of the most powerful worship services I've ever been in. Uh, there, were no, there were no lights. There were no videos. Uh, there was a simple drum box and words propped up on a chair to see and a guitar and three young men leading worship. And, and I just want to tell you, I have seen it with my own eyes because I know some of these boys and I'm starting to get to know all of them that Jesus has come into their life and he has dismantled the kingdoms they used to find value in and he is building his kingdom within them. These same young men that just months ago, I saw them describing their life and, and hating our program, not understanding how God in any way could do anything of value and there they were yesterday with my own eyes, boys standing up all around our cafeteria against the wall, hands raised, singing the beautiful song we sang today. What a beautiful name it is. What a beautiful name it is. Amen. Uh, Jesus is powerful enough to conquer a heart. I'm so grateful to be able to tell you that with full assurance and the evidence of Scripture. Creation is so incredibly powerful and awesome, and it speaks to the majesty of God. But what speaks to the kingdom and power of God is the one who can conquer the kingdoms that we get entangled in and latched onto, and then he establishes a whole new way of life. It's possible. With God, all things are possible. That's what Jesus was talking about. There is still hope for that young man who's walking away the one who walked away sad. It's going to be hard, but with God it is possible for him to change. So it's yet another kingdom rule. He treasures marriage, values children, and in his kingdom with God, all things are possible. No hopeless causes. Not only that hope for that young man in the story, but hope for you. And hope for me as well. I remember the day when I had finally had enough. I, I was 16, and Dad was coming at me again, screaming and cursing at me, and he had his fists ready. And I had been uh, used to this growing up. He, he did it to my mom. He did it to my <clears throat> younger brother. He did it to me. My dad had a a kingdom that had been built around his life through his disabilities and his anger and his sense of shame and failure, and he was one angry man. I had my back turned to him on this day. He was screaming something at me, I uh, can't even remember now, and he started punching me in the back from behind. Uh, many, many other times this has occurred. This has occurred. I'd run away or I'd tried to get out, but, but on this time something rose up within me. <clears throat> and, and I don't say this with, with pride. I say it with still a broken part of me. Uh, I turned around and I just laid my dad out, laid him out on the floor. There's something that happens, isn't there? When, when we go through moments like that, there's something that happens in the heart of a 16-year-old young man when he stands over his father after knocking him down and hurting him. Uh, maybe you could only imagine the kind of kingdom that that kind of upbringing began to build in me. I got attached to a lot of things, even in all my years of being a pastor. 
just starving for my father's approval. Approval I never got. Even until he passed away three years ago. Chasing after, hoping that folks would see me as good and valuable and and attaching myself to to things that that would somehow bring temporary uh, longings or, or answers to longings but would always fall short. It tended to lead to a kingdom where there was a lot of fear and a lot of nervousness and this idea that 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 applied to my relationship with God as well, that he was never quite pleased with me, that I always had to work hard and work harder and work harder for him to accept and keep loving me. Oh, I could preach it to others, but to live in that kingdom myself, well, I think you could enter me in the story. For him, it was his riches. For me, It was my brokenness and my woundedness from my father. It is hard for a wounded, broken young man to enter the kingdom of heaven. But Jesus in his great mercy came to me. And he welcomed me in to a new kingdom. I came to know him as a young boy and 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 throughout adolescence and then into adulthood, I need to just be honest with you. Um, He has been building his kingdom in me ever since, and he's still doing it today. I can't believe I turned 50 this past year. 50. He's still building things in me, helping me get disentangled from things that I don't have to live in anymore as part of that old kingdom that I had built. Oh, I take full responsibility. I don't blame it all on dad. Some of that kingdom building that I did and latched onto led to some real broken roads, led to an unsettled heart. But Jesus met me on that road, and he adopted me, and he cleansed me, and he gave me a new heart and a new start, even to the point, get this, where I found out my dad had passed away and I actually wept. There was a time in years I never would have. His kingdom values, because he's king of my heart, even led me to the point where I could see my dad as human, let alone forgive him with no more bitterness. No more bitterness. Sometimes I just wish I just, it hadn't taken so long because I could have been set free a lot earlier. But thankfully, Jesus, you know, he never gave up. He never does. Now, why in the world would I share that personal story? Boy, goodness, that's kind of deep and personal. Because Jesus sets people free from the kingdoms that they have built. For the Pharisees, it was their kingdom of religion, and Jesus offered true life to come out of it. For the disciples, it was their short-sightedness that built their kingdom. They're in the presence of Christ, and they still didn't get it. And Jesus calls them out of that kingdom into his. For the rich man, it was his wealth that he had attached his heart and his life and his value to. Jesus blew his mind by saying that's not enough. The kingdom of heaven cannot be 
earned by rules that you keep. It, it can't be um, honored or accepted into your life because you buy your way into it. And he called them out of that kingdom into a new and glorious kingdom. What about you this morning? What kingdom have you built? Uh, I think it's important to remember who Jesus talked to today in Matthew 19, the religious leaders, his own followers, and the lost. So that would cover this entire congregation here today. That includes everybody. Some of you are religious leaders in the church families. Some of you have been followers of Christ for years. You've been around the church, maybe as a little boy, a little girl. You've heard the message of Christ so many times, you feel like you could just say it back. And maybe even right now, you're kind of bored because you've heard the sermon like this before. I pray you'll listen. Or maybe this morning you're lost. You just haven't quite accepted and admitted that reality. The beautiful truth that I can offer you today, or more importantly, that Christ can offer you today, is that he can conquer any kingdom you've built. Maybe you've built a kingdom of pride. Maybe you're locked into a kingdom of addiction or secrets that are killing your heart. Maybe it's a kingdom that's been built on pain, anger, bitterness, maybe you've just adopted the idea that you are a victim of life. Everyone else has it good, but not you. I I don't know what kingdom values you've been living by. Please hear today, it's possible to even with Christ in your life, if you're not careful, to slide into the values and the influence of these other kingdoms and not accept the beautiful freedom and newness that Christ continues to offer you and to offer me. What is our response then when we're standing here or sitting here now in the presence of the Lord? Well, our response to the King is what our worship team sang so beautifully. I see clearly who you are. I see clearly the kingdom I've built. And I choose to surrender it all. I just surrender it all all that I understand and all that I yet don't understand, all that I have been and all that's happened to me and all that's going on right now, all that I am, I, I surrender it all to the King. Build, build your life in me. Build your kingdom in me. May it be so, Lord. I would just like to ask you, if you would, my friends, to just bow your heads in his presence for the king is here and we have the beautiful privilege over the next couple of weekends together well pastor greg will be leading us uh, reminding us what this king has done for us and on our behalf laying down his life and conquering the grave would you just simply in your own way, if you would like, just to ask the Lord, Lord, what more do I lack? Search my heart. Know me. You've you've invited me to freedom so many times. 
I don't want to build my kingdom anymore. I want to be under the rule and the reign of you. And perhaps for the first time, that is your prayer today. Call upon the name of the Lord and you will be saved. Or perhaps you've gotten off track in your walk with the Lord. Maybe you've even gotten trapped in some things right now and you feel like there's no way out. Would you please know that with God, all things are possible. You've not gone or wandered too far away that the Lord cannot forgive you and redeem you and restore you to who you are in his kingdom. Hebrews 12, 28 tells us, therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And so let us worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. I would like to invite those uh, who would be part of the prayer team and just with our heads bowed, if, if that applies to you, if you'd like to come to just be available, perhaps having a brother or a sister to pray with you. No judgment, no questioning, just willing to receive you where you're at this morning. And they're available even now. Before I pray aloud, would you just would you just take a moment to worship the Lord with reverence and awe? Be amazed at this king who loves you enough to knock down any other kingdom to get to you. That your heart would belong to him, that your life would belong to him. We worship you, Lord. Praise be to your name. Father, thank you for your presence here this morning. Thank you for your beautiful and powerful word. It offers true hope. Uh, Lord, I just, how could I not pause and just thank you for not giving up on me so many different seasons in my life. Thank you for inviting me into your kingdom building that kingdom within my heart and life. Father, I pray for everyone here this morning. Uh, If there be those whose religion and rules have actually caused hindrance in their walk with you, would you set them free from that kingdom, Lord? For those who followed you, perhaps in this season, Father, uh, They've wandered. They've 
made decisions. They've wondered if you could still love and receive them. And I pray, Lord, that you would just bind the power of the enemy in this place that would lie to them and say that you've, you've given up on them and you're no longer interested in them, that your truth would be heard, that you enter into that kingdom of darkness and being trapped and you provide rescue. For those who are lost and do not know you this morning, I pray just by the power of the gospel and the presence of the Holy Spirit, they would, they would see you clearly, the rescuing, loving, gracious King who wants to build his life within them. And may they call out to you. Thank you, Lord, for your mercy, for your grace. Thank you for your kingdom rules and values that, that change everything. Father, lastly, I'd like to pray that you would call us out of this kingdom of fear that's being built all around us in these days. And, and some of it's been from our leaders and some of it's been from the media. And Lord, some of it's been from our own hearts loved ones that have suffered or and Father just this fear of is just so prominent right now I, I thank you that perfect love casts out all fear that fear has to bow its knee to King Jesus and Lord I just pray that that you would draw us near to you and that this kingdom of fear would be demolished in Jesus' name, that you would untangle our hearts from it because it, it taints everything. Father, renew our perspective, our joy, our faith and trust in you. Thank you for these moments. Uh, we surrender all, Lord, to the King. We surrender all. In the mighty name of Jesus, I pray all these things, the King of kings. Amen. Amen. It's been a blessing to spend these moments with you. I would remind you if you'd like to talk or pray with any of our friends. I, I hope you have a wonderful week. God bless you, and uh, you are dismissed. Thank you.